Your computer makes thousands of connections every day, just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. So I started twerking last night. Dunno, just did. Was listening to the Radio Wolfgang app. Downloaded it, listened to it, real cool, you know. And the urge just took me to twerk. No, I was terrible, obviously. Come on. You could get caught in the cold, but Attention, all true believers. Marvel Comics is on the air. These comic book covers that you are seeing here are a sample of what the children of the United States are reading today. 20 million copies of these comic books are pouring off the presses every single month. They are getting into the hands of children and their contents match the covers. They are full of crime, terror, and horror. I see it simply as, a, as a, an interesting application of the laws of physics. I don't really think it has much in the way of sort of philosophical uh, implications because we're not really editing history, we're just making history look different to different observers. Hello, boys. Get me an herbal tea and deal me in. Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, it's Rick. <laughs> but fine. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. As you, I mean, you almost certainly know this by now, you would have been ravenously devouring the other three episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> so we, me and Dr. Michael Brooks, hello. Hello. Michael Brooks. There he is. Doesn't offer much at the start of the show. <laughs> or, to be fair, the middle. And we take a work of fiction and we, and we look at the science within it. This show, slightly looser, uh, and we're looking at comics. Overall, we're looking at comics. Wait, wait, what's going on? It's, it's okay, okay Doc. You're, you're here amongst friends. So, Michael, I know you're not like a massive comic book fan. So not even close to massive, no. Sure, I know you're a tiny fan of, <laughs> of comic books. I never have been. You know, I, I might have read a bit of sort of Beano and Dandy when I was a kid, but mm. never read a lot of Asterix, but never this kind of Marvel superhero stuff at all. So you were Asterix over Tintin? Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm, that makes me very suspicious. <laughs> but what I'm hoping is that you will enjoy it sufficiently that you'll let us do another episode of science so you want to draw at, me into your world i'd like to draw you into the comic book world because there's loads of material in there okay i'm gonna take your word for it and okay i'm open to the possibility that maybe i'm missing out on something that's what i was hoping you'd say so w- what we've done is we've picked uh, a variety of superheroes uh, and the one that we're going to start with it's, it's the obvious one uh, the red bee i know i know <laughs> <laughs> the classic red bee uh, so for those of you who haven't heard of the Red Bee, which it's going to be a few of you, he is from a uh, a nineteen forties comic, um, and he's a guy who is uh, he has a red and yellow costume, doesn't have any actual superpowers, which are always my favourite sort of 
Um, oh really? That's great. what you like? Yeah. So I'll I'll take Batman over Superman, for example. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy the the sort of. I just find it a bit. I mean, this is stupid. Um, but I find you. it more realistic. No. <laughs> which no, I know is a silly I'm thing absolutely to say. with you on that. that. That's one of the big problems I have with these kinds mm. of things. It's like, oh come on, that's not going to happen. I watched Ant Man actually last week. Okay. On a plane, uh, you come across this the mm, new yeah. film, um, Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd, and uh, and it involves quantum physics. So I was quite into that. Yeah, and did they get their physics right? <laughs> of course not, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you enjoyed it? Yeah. Sitting there tutting on the tutting, plane. Yeah. They talked about going into the quantum void and you can't come back. Uh, what does that mean exactly? It sounds good though. But I like the fact that they you know, they made a reference to it. They're having a crack, aren't they? They, they made an effort. Mm. Anyway, back to the Red Bee. The Red Bee, no actual superpowers, but he has an army of trained bees that he uses to fight Nazis and gangsters. <laughs> Which was in the 1940s, that's basically what you did. Very topical. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, fighting Nazis and gangsters, yes. Training an army of bees, less so, I think, for most people. No, I mean, that, that was visionary. But the reason that he's all the more uh, relevant to, to this show is that the character's real name, um, when he's not the Red Bee, is Rick Rally, And he has a favourite bee. And I know you're <laughs> looking at me like I'm making this up. He's got a favourite bee that lives inside his belt buckle for, quote-unquote, special circumstances. (laughs) And the name of that bee is Michael. (laughs) I absolutely... You could not make it up. And I I grant you someone has. But well well before this show... That's real, is it? That is absolutely real. He's called Rick, and he's got a favourite bee called Michael. (laughs) Who he keeps in his belt buckle. Keeps in his belt buckle. Yeah. Wow. Wow wow is the, the, the only response, really. And, uh, what, what does Michael do in the belt buckle? Well, Michael just sort of, I guess Michael chills. Yeah. And then when things are getting really serious, so when I'm imagining that when you're taking on a particularly nasty Nazi right. or gangster. Yeah. Uh, so if you're mm, up close and personal with Hitler or Capone, slightly <laughs> mixing my time here, <laughs> so I suppose, uh, then you might call on Michael. The, the problem, I suppose, that, um, <laughs> that must have occurred to, to my character, Rick, <laughs> is that every time the bee stings someone, um, it dies, <laughs> which means you must have this constant churn of having to go through this rigorous training with your bees and then dying and then training more and then, well, then that's, dying. That's why he stopped with Nazis and gangsters. I mean, there wasn't time with all the rigorous training that, that mm. went on. It's a bit of a nightmare. But, but also, I mean, you, you raise an interesting point. What does Michael do? I don't really want to risk Michael in a battle situation because he's, then, he's my favourite and yeah. he will die if he stings someone. Yeah. Which then raises the question, perhaps he's doing something quite, well, I would argue unethical and just replacing Michael. <laughs> he's just got a stream of Michaels. Or <laughs> and not Michael is, is... Like you like, do like, with a child and a pet. Go, yeah. No, no, no. No, genuinely, that, that is Herbie. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know Herbie didn't used to have a black ear. <laughs> Maybe Michael is being saved for that, you know, take the bullet for, for Rick. Kind of moment. He'd do so well to take a bullet. I mean, <laughs> the idea of a bee taking a bullet. <laughs> and the best a bee is going to do is ride on the bullet. <laughs> which in itself would be which, impressive. Which would be a good comic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what are you calling it? Bee rider? Oh, yes. I suppose you are. We'll do that. So our first, <laughs> eventually we'll get there, our first question that we have to ask about uh, comic book heroes related to Red Bee is can we train bees like Red B did. And we went to ask uh, a gentleman called Lucius Carey uh, from Oxford Technology Management. If you're a bee, you can't see very well. You have a combined eye and you can't hear very well. Uh, But you can smell 
brilliantly and they use that sense of smell to track down a flower at you know, two miles distance and they can follow the scent. And it turns out that you could train bees to recognise a particular scent. At the moment in the world, what is used mainly for the detection of vapours are sniffer dogs. But dogs are sentient mammals like we are and they suffer from the same sorts of problems that we suffer from. You know, they get colds and they can't smell and they fall in love and they can't concentrate. And uh, in particular, they get bored. So if a, if a dog has got a task of, you know, trying to find a bomb in 200 suitcases, they sniff, you know, when they get to suitcase number 150, they think, oh, this is a really boring afternoon. So then they pretend that they've found a bomb. And then everything gets very exciting, and the, and the dog likes that. Whereas a bee is its absolute reflex. It's a little machine. And so the training regime is very simple. You, you take a bee and you put it in a holder, and then you give it a sample of what it is you want it to smell. So if it's Semtex, you give it a little Semtex to smell. Um, and then um, you reward it with sugar and you repeat that uh, five times uh, over a period of about half an hour and after that, in the presence of that odour even in tiny concentrations as concentrations are so small, parts per trillion it's really very difficult to measure uh, but they have this uh, a reflex action which is called the proboscis extension reflex and they stick out their tongues. Why, you little... Quite a sweet image. Little bees <laughs> poking their tongues out when they smell just, something. Just rude, surely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the answer is sort of yes. Yes. Can we train bees like the red bee did? Yeah. We'd, we haven't done enough, I think, we haven't done enough research to know exactly what the red bee was up to with his bees. Um, but you could definitely do something with them. Is what Lucius seems to be saying. Well, maybe maybe they stuck out their tongues at Nazis and gangsters. Yeah, I don't know if that would have done it, really. <laughs> not quite <laughs> enough. I, I'm not um, calling into question Lucius's credentials, but I'm suspicious when he says dogs fall in love. <laughs> yes, oh. But I do, I mean, I think it's a fair point that dogs, I can imagine, getting bored after a you know fifty suitcases. His problem with that is that actually they're really highly trained. These airport security dogs and the military dogs, you, you know, you see them... At work, and they're not having to be sort of rounded up and focused or anything. They're absolutely on it. I once got stopped by a beagle at the an airport. Beagle, <laughs> carry on. Beagle. Yeah. What were you carrying? An, a, an apple. An apple. Yeah, carrying an apple into into America. It's a well, it's not a crime as such. You know, they didn't lock me up for it, but they took me apple away. They don't approve. No, no, it's a misdemeanor, maybe. Mm. But I've not seen the bees working yet. And uh, presumably, that it's been a tough sell. Yeah, but I mean that that stuff sounds quite plausible. It's kind of it's just Pavlovian style conditioning. Yeah, so so you can just take what well, like Pavlov did at the beginning with dogs. I think just rang a bell, yeah, and then gave them some food, and then they started to salivate at the sound of the bell. And then you can do the same with rats. You know, we've done it with lots of animals. It works with people as well. But essentially, you've got bees in a box on a stick. And <laughs> like, the, like the red bee. I mean, red bee's bit better because he's yeah, got it on the belt he's buckle. He's got it on the belt buckle. And, and you just watch their reaction wherever you put them. So here is the bee holder. These, this, this is a cassette which holds six bee holders. 
and so this clips in here and then this is an infrared emitter and normally the infrared just shines straight across in the presence of the odour which is introduced down the side then the, the proboscis extension happens and the bee's proboscis will cut off the infrared signal and say so if, if all six bees respond then you, you can be very sure that it's accurate. I could tell you one quite interesting story. We had a a contract from the American DARPA, and the contract was a huge, fat contract. And so we went out to Arizona and trained the bees. And then the base commander pointed at the DARPA contract, and he said, you can forget all that crap. He said, we're going to produce three trucks. One truck's got a bomb. The other two trucks haven't got a bomb. You tell us which truck's got the bomb, you've got the job. And he was flanked by two people with machine guns, so you were hardly going to argue with that. And uh, so then they produced three trucks, and we were able to tell them not only which truck had the bomb, but where the bomb was in the truck. See, that's pretty good. Yeah. You still look sceptical, Michael. Still a one in three. That's for, a good for, anecdote. The beauty of it is nobody knows you've only got some bees in that. You know, presumably it's a closed container <laughs> with a load of bees on a stick. But if people just think, oh, it's you know, it's that insanely good explosive detector that he's got there, yeah. then you probably look quite cool. But yeah, um, whereas yeah. if you can see the bees, you are like the guy who wanders around <laughs> town who's the lunacy with the bees. Yeah. <laughs> True. But there's a, an Israeli defense firm did this with mice. Exactly the same thing. Mice in a box basically, yeah. that were conditioned to run away from the smell of explosives. So they yeah. actually had sort of motion detectors, and they had like six mice in a box. And and when all six sort of ran away to the other end of the cage on the stick that they were in, they knew that there was some kind of explosive in there. And this is all predicated on the fact that um, these animals have incredibly sensitive senses of smell, yeah? Yeah. I mean, basically what they're doing is taking in these volatile chemicals that come off these things. So uh, bees can tell the difference between heroin and cocaine, for instance, so that they, they can sniff. So can I, mate. <laughs> not making a career out of it yet. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should yeah. put you in a cage on a stick. <laughs> There's a Having comic s- in that, Michael. <laughs> but, you know, they, they can take in these chemicals and they can sense them at much sort of lower, what's the word, abundance than, than we can. So, mm. um, so it makes Concentrations. sense. Concentrations. If yeah. you like, if you want to get all technical. I do. <laughs> then uh, it makes sense to kind of put them to use. There are, there's loads of examples of people, like, well, the military in yeah. various countries spending a good whack of money on trying to train animals to do various stuff for it's them. It's true, it's true. I mean, the US military is spending millions on dolphin and seal training. This is going on right now. So, so they have they have dolphins and seals that they train uh, to sniff out mines and to mm-hmm. even patrol for kind of intruders, like you know scuba divers trying to infiltrate military bases. You know they've done a lot of work on this, 
but I'm you know, sure this is I've, ongoing. I've heard that there's a bit of business where they're they're trying to get them to be a bit kamikaze. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, so these are go the and find an enemy ship. Uh, here's your backpack. <laughs> what's in that? Don't worry about what's in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, these, these are the rumors that they get That's them. Your lunch. <laughs> they, they train them to go and and sort of nose butt the ship effectively which would trigger an explosion or just plant a mine you know that sort of sticks on the surface of the ship mm. but the but all the the US military are denying that so they, they deny that that, that ever just, happened mm. yeah yeah they said they explored a few options but but there are no kind of kamikaze dolphins out there dolphin and, and seals any others well they've they tried other things so apparently during the gulf war they uh, the uh, the US army took chickens into Kuwait <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopeful, isn't it? <laughs> so, so the idea was that they would um, they would detect poison gases. Oh, so the, the canary down the mine? Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Only they call them the Q80 field chickens. Mm. KFC. Oh, God. So, sorry about that. No, I don't think you're sorry enough. <laughs> <laughs> I read a really uh, good thing about someone tried to develop a thing where pigeons would guide missiles yes, yeah, in yeah. the Second World War. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, they had... By, by just, you aim for where the pigeons are pecking. Yeah. So you basically say to the pigeons, that's what we're after. Go and peck the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll aim for it. And if it appears in the left-hand window, then they, they do a lot of pecking on the left-hand window or something when they see the target there. And it steers the missile to the left slightly. And uh, this was abandoned before the end of the Second World War, apparently. It's quite good, though. But it sounds plausible, doesn't it? But the, I guess the, the point is... That the red bee was onto something. Yes, by yeah, yeah. Training yeah, we animals. We cannot deny to do things yeah. for Although, us that I we would, don't want to do. I would argue, or that we can't do. I would argue that he made a poor choice of animal. We'll try to turn that to Lucius. <laughs> uh, all right, let's um, let's move on to villains now. Who was your favourite villain? Have you? I mean, you're going to give me nothing. Given that I'm not really that into comics, so uh, I will go from the films that I've watched. And the the Joker is a superb villain. Yeah, I would say no superhuman powers. No, exactly. That's what I like about him. He's just a psycho, isn't he? He's a good old fashioned psycho. Yeah, he is good. I mean, I personally, I prefer the Penguin. Really? Yeah, creepier. (laughs) Little webbed feet. No, it, that's not, not scary though, is it? You know, what, you webbed come, feet aren't scary. <laughs> if you come across someone with webbed feet, I don't like run, it. Run away, my dear penguin. We stand on a great threshold. It's okay to be scared. Many of you won't be coming back. Thanks to Batman, the time is. He had the weird he's, army of... He's got a, an army of penguins, penguins that he's trained, yeah, interestingly. Yeah. Presumably you can do that. I think that would be a his tough ones, call. His ones had like little radio receivers sort of plugged into their heads, yeah. I think. So they were wired, weren't they? Yeah, they were wired yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Is there any of that going on? Yeah, there is actually. There's moths. So, so <laughs> Wired up moths? Wired up moths. So uh, this is again for the same sort of... Um, I think it's like bomb detection or, or drug detection stuff. And um, you can wire up to the antennae of moths. And moths are really, really sensitive to, to these, these uh, vapors, these chemicals. Yeah. And they will fire their antennae left or right, depending on you know, how you've trained them. So left for heroin, right for cocaine, for instance. And so you just tap into the electrical signal that the moth is sending itself. And uh, you've, got a, you've got your drug detector there. That's really good. <laughs> it's quite clever, isn't um, it? Villain-wise, though... Get an tea and deal me in. Poison Ivy. 
It's been a long time, Harvey. You're still looking halfway decent. Half of me wants to strangle you. And what does the other half want? To hit you with a truck. We used to date. Are you familiar with Poison Ivy? Yeah, so she's a plant-based villain, I she believe. She is a plant-based <laughs> villain. One of the few plant-based <laughs> villains. And I, I think that the question here has to be, is that a sensible thing to base your villainy on? <laughs> Can plants really cause that much damage? And we went to Kew Gardens to go and speak with Dr Monique Simmons. So, I mean, if you had to choose one plant that was, you know, going to give you, let's say, an advantage or a superpower or something like that, you know, something that would be really useful to have sort of in your pocket at all times, what what would that be? (laughs) Crumbs. I'd just charm people with a rose. (laughs) That's just me. Oh, you would, yeah, interesting with roses. Uh, Frankincense, um, some of those that kind of have a calming effect. Mm-hmm. One of the ones I'm, it's very interesting is, is agar wood, which is say, basis for some something like Chanel, mm-hmm. um, and that has that has a neurological effect. No, it's an attraction, and it affect the you know our perception for male and female differ. And what about as a, as a weapon? As if you're just looking for a basic wow. plant weapon, what are you going for? I don't know what I'd go for now. I wanted to get away with it. Mm. Just I can, I, say I, that you're going to get away like, with it anyway. Yeah, okay. Anything you like. I think... To be honest, the police are probably going to come to you for the identification so you can cover yeah. the tracks. You'll be like, no idea. No idea, <laughs> no, idea. <laughs> no idea, yeah. Right, so you're talking really here about some of the plants with the alkaloids or some of the diterpenoids or the classes of compounds we're dealing with. I didn't know I was talking about that, but yeah. yeah. That's what you're talking about. They're the plants... Very small amounts. So uh-huh. You're getting into things like um, strychnine, yeah, uh, um, aconite, etc. Small amounts, and something like aconite is is dangerous because it's not only you can consume it, you can absorb it by your skin. And then what would happen? It's, uh, kind of a, a slight numbness on the on the on the hands. Um, but then if it gets in, enough gets into your blood system, then you get basically a breakdown of your body. Hi there. Is your thumb the only part of you that's green? You will just have to find out. I want us to be together, but... I want to make sure you're serious about turning over a new leaf. I need a sign. How about slippery when wet? Of trust. Tell me your plan. Kiss me and I'll tell you. Tell me and I'll kiss you. How familiar are you with Poison Ivy? I'm aware of the character in the Batman stories, but I don't know a lot about her other than, you know, it's a lethal kiss. She is right in your wheelhouse, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It's evil or Um, it's positive. It's a grey area. She's a good guy or a bad guy, really, I think. But she has all of these... um, She has a sort of affinity with and uses plant life in, in various ways. And so she has things like truth serum made out of some kind of botanical matter. Right, did did they give the... I think it's slightly hazy on the details. Right. (laughs) If you were going to try and make a truth serum out of a flower, 
It's putting the person into a trance, then, really, yeah. you could say. But, you know, yeah, so yeah perfect. To, I mean, you know, something like nutmeg, mm. a small amount sprinkled over your coffee or your dessert is fine. You get a high amount, and then you're really into hallucinogens. And then an element... Michael's eyes have lit up. It <laughs> <laughs> confirms all those student rumours, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Does, you've really got to be very, very careful with these things because they affect people in different ways. Plants are... I mean, they're chemical factories, basically, and they, they're so diverse. It's, it's the trick about how, how the heck do you know which ones to put together. It's often the mixtures that are important here. We won't here. tell anyone, don't we? No, no. Oh, yes, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> With a microphone in front of me. Yes, you won't go tell anybody. Bad luck, I'm afraid. Time to die, little Robin. I hate to disappoint you, but... Rubber lips are immune to your charms. Sorry, my vines have a crush on you. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go. So many people to kill, so little time. Another thing which I suspect is a bit more far-fetched with Poison Ivy, where she can kind of communicate with and control flowers and plants. Um, Do you know of anyone who is uh, a kind of plant whisperer? Plants, in their sense of photosynthesis, will take up, you know, CO2, so we breathe out CO2. So is it the fact that you've got somebody who's tendering their plants, spend some time over that plant, releasing therefore CO2, that's a beneficial effect on a plant compared to somebody, you know, a plant growing in a room. to talk to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm. We now understand that there is a form of communication amongst plants. Right. There's enough solid science, and some of that has come from work in Finland, um, Scandinavian countries. If you damage a plant, it will release some volatile type of chemicals mm-hmm. that then can be perceived by other parts of the plants and that can initiate a response, a biochemical response in the plants that they will increase the level of some of their defensive compounds. Wow. So you can show that that can go across from a twig up a branch and therefore into a tree and then into related trees, depending on the distance and the wind, etc. and so on. What you got in the bottles? Plant toxins from the museum lab. Good enough! (laughs) When I asked Dr. Simmons about communication between plants, I didn't expect her to say, oh, yeah, 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 we know about that. That's incredible, isn't it? It is incredible. It's amazing, isn't it? Had you heard that before? So, yeah, I I had heard some of it before, that they they effectively scream, you know, because what they're doing is communicating a kind of, there's danger here. Plants talk to each other, even if we can't talk to them. 
But if we um, were able to replicate the kind of signals that they're putting out, either through the body of their own plant or to others, yeah. then would we be able to communicate with plants ourselves? Yeah. To, to, you know, to, to in a, in a very narrow yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean... But you could sort of say to a plant, right, get ready, we're yeah. about to do this. They only have, you know, a very limited range of kind of, you know, communications. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but... That said, you know, they don't need a lot, do they? It's not like they can get up and run away. Mm. Well, triffids. Well, all right, apart from triffids. But they're amazing things. So since the time of the ancient Greeks, we've always classed plants as like the dumb, kind of stupid, almost not even alive kind of thing. But there are, you know, somebody did some experiments where they had a particular type of plant and they they dropped it from a windowsill onto a, a sort of mattress. So it had a soft landing, really spongy mattress. And actually what happens when the plant was dropped is it, it curled up its leaves in a kind of defensive sort of fall. How that would it know at, to do that? Because it, it's, it's got gravity sensors, I guess, or accelerometers within it that knows, for instance, you know, it knows if a strong wind is blowing, then, then they react to, to certain things. And, uh, but the so amazing it, it, thing was, it, let mm, me finish this one, all right. because uh, once they'd done it about six or seven times and it was such a soft landing, the plant stopped reacting defensively and just let it happen. It's probably just knackered. <laughs> but so it, it's the idea then that the plant probably thinks there's a, a strong wind. Maybe, yeah, you could argue because that. Because it's, yeah. surely it's not going to have... It's not going to be used to falling, detecting. is it? No, it's no, not, no, it would have no use for an accelerometer or a kind of... No, but... Or a but gravity it, detection The point system. is it has mechanisms beyond what we think yeah. of as being, you know, normal plant behaviour. And even a Venus flytrap. So, you know, that doesn't just close up on a fly as soon as a fly hits it. It basically waits for the second touch. So it actually registers the first touch, waits, and then if there's another touch within 30 seconds, then it'll close up. So it has a kind of memory, effectively. Do plants in high winds curl their leaves up? That I don't know. That's what you'd want to test. That's what isn't we it? need to find out, isn't it? Should we do that this afternoon? What yeah, do you yeah, well, <laughs> I've got nothing else. I've on. got a hairdryer and a plant. <laughs> but yeah, so they—I mean—they talk to each other. They—they they sort of communicate within themselves as as you know our bodies do. So you can argue that they have a kind of you know nervous system, as it were. There's an organ in the roots of plants. I think it's called the transition zone that is uses an enormous amount of oxygen. Hmm. Found in the same way that our brains use enormous amounts of oxygen, and they, you know, they don't have neurons as such. But if you give them the sort of the things that block neurotransmitters, so so things like Valium that kind of you know just affect human mood, they have, affect plants quite badly. So what? what maybe you could to... argue that you know that that's just giving you know poisoning chemicals, poisonous chemicals to plants. But hmm. but there seems to be a kind of sort of disruption of signaling. So so there's something going on that's sort of like brain operation. I was not expecting you to tell me that plants have brains today. <laughs> and yet... Something like a brain. There's no neurons, but, you know, there, there are... There's information processing going on. There's reactions to the environment. They sense their environment and they react to it. You know, it's more than some humans that I know. <laughs> but uh, we should talk about the kind of the, the, the converse to what Monique was talking about, which was poisonous yeah. plants and so on, which is that a lot of those quote-unquote poisons are actually very useful to us, aren't they? So, yeah, I mean, we, we can't manufacture everything that we need for our own survival and, and, and going against the parasites. But, of course, plants have been around on Earth a lot longer than we have. So um, they have developed their own sort of protective systems against pathogens and you know, bacteria and stuff. And we eat those as our five a day. 
fair play. Now, doing a show about superheroes effectively, so we cannot fail to answer the question, if you were a superhero, what power would you want? Michael? I have to say invisibility. Yeah? I know it's a bit obvious, but it's just... Also, I immediately just think pervert as well. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah, maybe I Even just Even before gave, you said invisibility, I was away. thinking pervert as I was looking at you. <laughs> It's just cool to disappear, isn't it? I could say flying, and flying would be quite useful, but I don't know. I, I sort of feel like, you know, that's that's cheating almost. That's too much power. Flying is a real eye-catcher. I mean, people are really <laughs> enjoying that. I don't think people are enjoying your invisibility as much. No, but I, I People am. are thinking it's creepy. Yeah. No, because they don't know I'm there. I think I would have... I don't really know if this is a superpower. I'd like to just time travel, so I'd like to be able to travel. That's not a superpower, is well, it? Well, hang on. Uh, don't I get to decide I didn't know that was on the table well I'm putting it on the table I'm just saying if I could travel in whatever direction I wanted through time and at whatever pace I wanted I know that'd be pretty good anyway um, I think uh, time travel doesn't feel that likely at the moment invisibility though invisibility, your one yeah is the proper superpower yeah yeah okay it's not as far off as you might think is it no we spoke to actually a guy i'm sure you know professor martin mccall from imperial so you had an argument with him uh you wrote something about gravity having an effect on the refractive index of the of the atmosphere maybe does that doesn't ring a bell, ring a bell. doesn't ring it's a kind of thing he's right though isn't it <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah, probably the universe rather than the atmosphere yeah yeah fine and then martin apparently about six months later, sort of wrote in and said, your maths is all wrong, mate. <laughs> Light is a form of radiation, and when we study it in detail, we find it's a, a form of vibration as, as well as a form of radiation. The, the thing that's actually vibrating in this case is, is, is called the electromagnetic field. It has two parts, an electric part and a magnetic part. And so what we're able to do is to produce a material that can actually, if you like, caress the light around an object. It's a bit like water flowing around a tree trunk in a stream so that someone that is observing from behind, downstream if you will, sees the light coming parallel to them as if the object uh, wasn't there at all. Dr. Banner was right. It wasn't the Hulk doing all the damage. Then I'll bet the wreck is right behind that huge iron door. I get it go along, visibly. Well, in terms of uh, having a cloak that, that I can buy my son for Christmas, we're some, some distance from that. In a limited way, we are able to cloak um, macroscopic or real-sized objects. So a, a group uh, in, in China uh, fairly recently were able to cloak a cat, for example, um, in an experiment. But as I say, in all of these experiments, there are, there are certain restrictions. Although the demonstration itself looks very impressive when you look closely you'll find that you can only look in one particular direction or that the illumination has to be in some special way so your nemesis can make a cat invisible (laughs) no he can't it depends on the angle you're looking at the cat from so so i think this was a bunch of chinese researchers did this and they cloaked a cat by using a huge glass prism that bent the light around the cat so so the cat did kind of disappear yes 
But but hang on, is the cat sitting in a massive prism? No, not inside it. It's just you know in front of it, effectively. So so the prism reflects the light around the cat. But what I'm saying is, if you wanted it to work from every angle, would it need to be encased in a prism? Yes, and then you'd see the prism, wouldn't you? Effectively, yeah. I'm, I'm curious else. about the prism. Yeah. <laughs> so um, something behind that. <laughs> Can't say anything. You know, I shouldn't scoff because it's an amazing thing to be able to do, and we're we're well on the on the road to to doing really impressive things. So we have materials called metamaterials, which are kind of like. Uh, made up of little bits of metal, sort of like a chainmail cloak, effectively. And because they bend the uh, the light in a certain way, they actually are able to bend light around an object. So, so you can see um, that it's not there, except that it only really works well at sort of microwave frequencies. So, you know, you have this whole electromagnetic spectrum and the visible spect- part of the spectrum is what we want to be able to bend properly in yeah. order to create invisibility. Yeah. At the moment, we're kind of working on the microwave end of the spectrum and the infrared is just coming in. So you can sort of bend thermal radiation. So you might be able to have a cloak from a heat-seeking device, for instance. But at the same time, you know, we haven't yet got to visible light very much. Um, I mean, it's coming. So there are various materials where you can do some of the wavelengths, but you're left with looking a bit red, basically. Mm. So it turns you red. Um, so you're not invisible, you're just red. Mm. And... Which is actually probably more noticeable. <laughs> so, so Really so, stand out but, with you know, this invisibility cloak. <laughs> <laughs> For all my scoffing, you know, that is, you know, we're making progress. And this is literally in the last sort of 10 years. So who knows in 10 years' time where we'll be. So do you think genuinely that in, I don't know, 20 years, we will have a fully functioning sort of invisibility cloaking device. I think we could well. Yeah, I, I would I would Something invest. work from every yeah, angle. Yeah, I would invest. In 20 years' time, I think we could well have something really remarkable. What would it be used for? Military purposes. Great stuff. As we know, <laughs> everything. Yeah, I mean, what else is going to be used for? You're going to, you're, yeah. you're, I'm not going to be allowed to have one just to walk down the street, am I? Mm. This is not where it ends, though, is it? The sort of the the invisibility game, <laughs> which is what not many people are calling it. <laughs> so what um uh, your friend uh, Professor Martin is is yeah. doing is trying to extend it beyond just making objects invisible, and he's trying to do a thing called space time cloaking. The idea of a space time cloak is um, is something my group worked on about five years ago. And what we discovered was that it was possible to replace one of the dimensions of space with time and therefore it's possible to cloak something in space-time. Now, it's a bit hard to understand what that means immediately. A cartoon type of example might help here. So imagine we have a a CCTV camera looking at a, a scene that consists of a a safe. Now, the action of the space-time cloak is to manipulate the light that is falling onto the safe and then coming to the CCTV camera in such a way that there is a brief period for which the safe is not illuminated. It's in darkness. And this gives the opportunity for a robber to run into the scene and steal the cash and being careful to close the safe, run away.
and then the light is reconstituted to exactly the same state or the same flow as it had before. And so the CCTV camera only ever sees the safe closed and the event of the um, robber uh, cracking the safe and stealing the cash is not recorded. And so it's the ultimate bank heist, if you will. We gotta go. Let's go! I haven't personally uh, performed an experiment because I'm a theorist, but um, colleagues in the States took the idea of the space-time cloak and remarkably quickly, actually, after our uh, theoretical paper was published, uh, they were able to do a tabletop experiment uh, based on our ideas uh, that produced a a cloak that that hid an event for about 12 picoseconds. That's... uh, a picosecond is 10 to the minus 12 of a second so an unimaginably small fraction of time was concealed in a in an experiment um, and there have been subsequent experiments that have improved that slightly yeah good luck getting into a safe in that time <laughs> um but genuinely what the fuck is he talking about <laughs> so hard to kind of explain so that's so, insane so you have to so he's not actually stopping time let's let's be clear for a start you know, so they use the thing that sort of has been referred to as a time lens. So you right. sort of bend time instead of bending light through space. You bend it through time. And then you can kind of effectively make that light sort of not quite reach its destination as fast as you thought it was going to. Does that make sense to you? Mm. So, <laughs> I, mm. so, so it's always like, you know, so pressing slowing pause. time... No, you're sp- slowing no. the perception of time down. So you're slowing down the observer's perception of the time right. that's passing. Or, or they, they miss a moment, effectively. And in that moment, you jump in and, and do your heist. Right. So, so they, uh, but they don't notice the kind of gap. So it's a way of manipulating light and electronic switches together. So this is all being used for the telecoms industry, in fact. You know, this is where this is going to actually find applications in speeding up signals that pass through optical fibers and stuff like this there's nobody's going to do a bank heist through through this technology when he said i'll give you a sort of cartoonish example it's one of those situations where although the example is simple it doesn't really tell you anything about what's going on you know we always assume we always assume that that all of science is explicable in some way Mm -hmm. and sometimes this is just you know this is just about the kind of electric fields the manipulation of these things and it's very hard to put it into kind of layman's terms as it were i've never read a full explanation of this space-time cloaking that really kind of satisfied and i think you have to get into the maths before you really understand what's going on and and from what um martin was saying he's a he's just come up with that in theory he's just he's basically done the maths yeah and then and then someone else has taken it yeah somebody else said i can do that actually with my Mm. optoelectronic system hmm so i'm gonna have one more go at trying to uh, trying to understand this so in in his example with the safe and the CCTV yeah. camera. Is it that the light is taking longer to get to me? It's not that, is it? N- no, what you see is a kind of magnification and then a compression. So it's an, it's an, it's an illusion. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, I like it. I like the name. 
Space-time cloaking yeah, sounds very yeah. exciting. Sounds very cool. I'm sure. Don't Chris, get it. Christopher Nolan's probably on it already, isn't he? He almost certainly will be. Um, and then we'll do a science issue about it <laughs> and <laughs> and roast him. <laughs> so let's go through. Our, let's go through our three questions. Review them. So our first one was: Can we train bees like the red bee did? Yes, uh, we can. Yes, we can. And yes, we do. And Lucius has done it. He's on Our it. friend Lucius yeah, yeah. Um, has been <laughs> at gunpoint and successfully <laughs> identified exactly where a bomb was. Uh, our second question uh, was, can plants really cause that much damage? Well, I guess we sort of knew the answer to that is that there are yeah. some plants that are extremely toxic. But the best bit of information was that plants talk to one another. Yeah. And then your nonsense about plants knowing when they're falling and just like <laughs> chilling out when they know there's going to be a soft landing. <laughs> Uh, and then our final question, I don't think we actually asked it specifically, but it was basically, will we be able to make ourselves invisible? And amazingly, the answer is not yet. Not yet, but, but yes, is my answer to that. Oh, it blows my mind. Watch this space, as it were. Mm, <laughs> you've made a couple of those uh, today and I haven't enjoyed them. <laughs> you have a think about that before next time. <laughs> Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Hannah Walker-Brown and Max Sanderson. This episode featured Lucius Carey, Dr. Monique Simmons, and Michael's nemesis, Professor Marcy McCall. The executive producers were Ellie DiMartino and Harry Watson. Charge up for family adventures with the Land Rover range of plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. With pioneering hybrid technology, the Land Rover range offers the perfect balance of efficiency, power and performance, both on-road and off, making every journey effortlessly refined. Enjoy the road less travelled with ease. Explore the 2021 Land Rover range of plug-in hybrids at landrover.ie. Land Rover. Above and beyond.